0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Who's Got Next podcast. I'm Riley Shepard, the host, the creator, the founder, and I'm so excited to get started today. We have a lot to get through, so let's jump right into it. Let me start off by telling you a little bit about myself and why I started this podcast. I, like I like said, Like I said, I'm Riley. I'm a freshman at the University of Central Florida in Orlando studying broadcast journalism and I started this podcast for two reasons sports and music and I know that's not a lot to go off of but both of those things played such a huge role in my life growing up and I just really wanted to share that passion and why both of those things are so important to me through a podcast. You know, I played basketball, football, and track growing up. And I loved each sport. And each sport brought me different skills than the other, completely different skills than the other. And it's the same for music, you know, different genres of music, which I, I listen to completely different types of music. You know, one day I may listen to Tyler, the Creator. And then another day I might listen to I'm. I mean, you know, like it doesn't, it completely depends on what kind of mood I'm in and what I want to get out of it. And that's the beautiful thing about both, you know. You know, going off of that, I never saw Michael Jordan playing growing up. You know, I was born in 2001, so I never the only the only way i've really seen michael jordan play is through highlight reels on youtube so whenever the the goat discussion gets brought up i always go with lebron because i've up until the last dance now i've never really seen him play a lot so in my eyes lebron is the best player that i've ever seen so, going off of that last night, episodes three and four of the Last Dance aired, and I knew Dennis Rodman was an interesting person you know i've I watched a lot of thirty for thirties I saw the thirty for thirty on him, so I got to witness a little bit of that craziness but if you haven't seen the episode yet, i'm so sorry I'm about to spoil it, but throughout. In the middle of the Bulls 97-98 season, he went to Phil Jackson asking for a vacation. (laughs) And he told Phil, 48 hours. I just need 48 hours to clear my head. And Phil Jackson brought in Michael Jordan, obviously. To see what Michael Jordan thought of this. And. Michael knew that. <laughs> Michael knew that Dennis wasn't going to come back in 48 hours. So he said to Phil. Look. Better make, him, better make sure he comes back. And obviously. Dennis Rodman. Didn't come back within two days. So. Everybody flew out to Vegas, which is where Rodman was, to get him, and at the time, he was dating Carmen Electra, um, pop artist from the 90s, and they're knocking on Dennis Rodman's hotel room, and Carmen Electra says, yeah, I was like, hi. she didn't know, she didn't know that Dennis had to be back at a certain time. So she was hiding behind a couch, the sheet cover, hiding from them. And they brought back Dennis Rodman. And obviously, he was partying while he was in Vegas. I mean, what else do you do in Vegas? And comes back. And Phil Jackson, to kind of like punish him, as soon as they get back, as soon as they get to practice that day, they have them run, or do Indian runs. You know, and if you've never done an Indian run before, basically you're in a line, one person behind the other, and the person in the front of the line keeps the pace. You know, you just can't be walking, so you can be jogging really slow. You know, the person in the back of the line, when the coach blows a whistle, the person in the back of the line runs to the front, and they set the pace. MJ thought, that, thought it was stupid that everybody else is getting punished for Dennis Rodman taking a, basically a vacation in the middle of the season. So he says to everybody, look, just like just coast. You know, basically walk, jog as slow as possible without walking because this is stupid, you know. So Dennis Rodman, Dennis Rodman's in the back of the line. Phil Jackson blows a whistle. Dennis sprints to the front and basically sprints the rest of the way until everybody catches up to him which took 4 laps and that's just the beauty in my eyes that that's the epitome of Dennis Rodman you know I don't think there's another player that could go on a 4 day basically Drinking spree (laughs) and still be able to produce at the level of Dennis Rodman. Because not only how he didn't miss a beat was remarkable in my eyes, but also the fact that this wasn't 25 year old Dennis Rodman. You know, this was a 36 year old. Granted, still a phenomenal player. Still arguably the best rebounder of all time. But he wasn't a kid when this happened. He was 36 years old. Towards the end of his career. And how he didn't miss a beat was amazing to me. Another interesting, probably the most interesting, Interesting part of last night's two episodes was when the Pistons finally lost to the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals after basically knocking them out for the past three, four years, when the Bulls finally knocked them out in 92, towards the end of game four, after well, about to be getting swept about to getting be getting swept by the Bulls. Bill Lambier, Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, the entire starting lineup for the Pistons, with seven seconds left in the game, walks off the court. And granted, the Celtics did the same thing to them when the Pistons finally got over the hump and beat the Celtics in 89. I don't think that really had anything to do with it. While Isaiah Thomas did say, look, the Celtics did the same thing to us, that really didn't have anything to do with it. Because the Bulls shook their hands both times that the Pistons... Smacked them the last two, two, three, four years in the playoffs. But the Pistons, the Pistons those years, were were the most physical team the NBA has ever seen. And that year that the Bulls finally beat them, they toughened up. They they did. And you know there was a point in Game Four where. Dennis Rodman picked up a flagrant because he had a hard foul on Scottie Pippen, but then afterwards, after the whistle, he shoved him into the into out of bounds, and that and MJ made a point that, and along along with the other Pistons players that after that, the Bulls knew that they had them beat, and. I think that had a lot to do with it, because when you are playing that physical, you expect that to carry you to victory, in a sense, and I, and you realized that, and Magic, Magic and Larry, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird both admitted before even before that season, you know, this was when MJ was still on the come up, you know, not even making it out of the Eastern Conference, that Magic and Larry both admitted that he was the best player in the league, and they knew that. You never heard Isaiah Thomas, Bill Beer, Dennis Rodney, who was playing for the Pistons at the time, say that he was the best player in the NBA. And I think it was really hard for them to admit that. Because they were they were the ones beating MJ in the playoffs, and I, str- I just feel that they didn't want to admit that their time was up and that MJ was have was taking over the league, but they really should have. The Pistons were in the wrong in that situation because. In a sense, this was a passing of the torch to MJ and Scotty. You know, every every team that's climbing that descent, no matter what sport it is, has to beat somebody off. You know, for the Pistons at the time, it was the Celtics in the East, and then they had to beat the Lakers out out West in the finals. And it took them several years, just like it took the Bulls to beat the Pistons. But in a sense, it's you don't have you don't have to like the player. You don't have to like the team. The Pistons sure sure didn't like any team they played at that time. But you have to respect them. You know, the Bulls, like I said, they both times the Pistons knocked them off, they shook their hands at the end of the series. Because it was a respect thing. You know, after the game's over. You have to respect the player. you have to show them, look, like that that was that was hard fought. You guys deserve that. Simple as that. They're transitioning that into the NFL draft, which was the only other really form of sports entertainment this past week. you know the first first round. Went by pretty pretty normally, the first three picks. Everybody kind of knew that's where the draft was going. Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda. But outside of that, my biggest winner out of the NFL draft was Nick Saban. Because he became the first coach in college football history to coach a first-round pick out of every position on the field, all 22 positions, outside of kickers, punters, and long snappers, of course. But I, d- I couldn't believe that Tua was the first-round first pick out of quarterback that he's ever had in his coaching career. You know, how illustrious of a career he's had. He's never had a first-round quarterback get taken Tua becoming the first, obviously, fifth overall to the Dolphins. But that's just amazing to me because arguably the best college football coach of all time and the most important position on the football field, of course. But maybe, you know, maybe for 2021, he actually gets that first-round kicker or punter or long snapper. Um, But, you know, the Dolphins, the Dolphins obviously... They had their hashtag tank for Tua this past season. And I really do, obviously staying healthy, of course, which is the biggest concern. I really do think they found their franchise quarterback. Tua, the only reason he fell in draft stocks was, of course, because of the injury last season and the injury concerns going up to the draft and... A lot of people, a lot of people threw up red flags after his pro day and combine performance, but this kid is arguably the most talented quarterback in the draft, up there with Joe Burrow, and he still goes fifth overall after having a big injury th- um, during his during his. This past season in Alabama. But I really do think he can be the next quarterback for the Dolphins for the next 10 to 15 years. Staying healthy, of course. My next winner is Lamar Jackson's long-term health. Ravens taking J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State in the second round. And Baez was an absolute steal. Because Lamar Jackson led the team with rushing last season. He was the team's leading rusher over twelve hundred yards. And the Ravens may be the Ravens may be deep this season at running back after taking J.K. Dobbins with the backfield of Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. But you know, Ingram Ingram's getting up there in age. He was 30 this past season. And that may not seem old For a lot of players, but for running backs, that's 30 for a running back is basically 40 for any other player in the NFL. Along with being in his last year of his contract, that could be a really elusive backfield with, like I said, with Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, and now J.K. Dobbins, which if the Ravens want Lamar Jackson to be their franchise quarterback, obviously he had his MVP season last year but for his long-term health they can't keep that up with him having 1200 yards on the ground at quarterback yeah, that just doesn't that just doesn't work for quarterbacks in the NFL you know are you're really risking you're really risking him being hurt long-term or you know just not being as productive as soon as he gets into his fifth, sixth, seventh year in the league, my third and final winner, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, they got they got Joe Burrow, who's going to be their franchise quarterback now. In the next greatest quarterback of this next decade, having probably the best season in college football history, throwing 64. 60- 60 touchdowns whatever it was, something crazy. Some numbers that I can't even fathom. But they also picked up T Hagans out of out of Clemson with the first pick in the second round. I know what you're probably thinking second round wide receiver whatever, but this is probably the deepest wide receiver class in the past 10, 15 years in the draft, there were six taken in the first, within the first 26 wide receivers taken within the first 25 picks guys like CeeDee Lamb, Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs. <coughs> and I really believe that he has the potential to be the best out of all of them, you know, playing alongside A.J. Green, who of course has been injured quite a bit the last 3 4 years but AJ Green arguably the best wide receiver wide receiver this past decade right alongside Antonio Brown I really think he can learn a ton from him you know Joe Burrow Joe Burrow is going to struggle this first year I have no doubt about it that he's going to be A great quarterback. But first-year QBs always struggle. But I think T. Higgins can learn a lot. And that can be one of the best one-two tandems in the NFL for years to come. Even if A.J. Green isn't healthy this upcoming season... Or he only has two or three years left in the league and we never see the same AJ Green again, T. Higgins can still learn a lot from him. And he can and that can be a huge, huge benefit to Joe Burrow as well. Going into my losers from the NFL draft, I only have two because basically every team in my eyes. For the most part, obviously, addressed what their needs were going in, you know, but the one team that didn't—very sorry, cheeseheads—specifically Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers did absolutely nothing, and an extremely talented wide receiver and O line, an O line class to help Aaron Rodgers. They traded up to draft Jordan Love in the first round. And, you know, that really wasn't what I questioned. Because Packers did the same thing when Brett Favre was quarterback, when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. But why now is my biggest question. Because Aaron Rodgers was still great last season. He was having an MVP season. But he's under contract until 2023. So that was my biggest question. Why not wait until next year? Which may be an even more talented quarterback class. And no knock on Jordan Love. The kid's not the kid is very talented. Don't get me wrong. But next year might be even better. So why not like I said at the time where the where the Packers were in the draft, they could have gotten somebody like Michael Pittman or like who I who I mentioned earlier, T Higgins. Why take Jordan Love in the late first round? When you can address the more important needs, because the first first round, second round, is where you get your future stars, for the most part, obviously. But this was such a deep class at wide receiver and O line, and there were so many sleepers. Why I. It just it just really confused me. Maybe maybe I end up being wrong. Maybe Jordan Love is the heir to to Aaron Rodgers, but it was just very questionable at the time, and I just think it's going to start a lot of unneeded drama for the Packers, who are still still very capable of competing for a Super Bowl. Very just. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see how that turns out this upcoming year and for the next couple years until Aaron Rodgers finally starts to dissent. He's under contract until he's 41 years old, so we'll see how that ends up, ends up going. My next loser, my only other loser, was New England. Sorry, Patriots fans, but you guys are going into a season without knowing who your quarterback is for the first time in the last 20 years and i'm not saying i'm not saying that you guys needed to draft a quarterback but but why not draft like the same thing the same thing i said for the packers why not go after an o lineman or a wide receiver. The because the the Patriots the Patriots with their thirty seventh pick they didn't have a pick in, in the first round they used the thirty seventh pick fifth pick in the second round to get Kyle Duggar, who is a great safety. I think he can be a day one starter for the Patriots, but the expected starting quarterback for the Patriots is going to be Jared Stidham. Even though they picked up two undrafted guys, Jared Stidham's expected to be the starter going into the season. And even though he was a rookie last year, he only threw four pass attempts the entire season. So this is going to be his first year as a starting quarterback. He's going to struggle. Rookie quarterbacks well, technically, even though he's not a rookie, this is his first year being a starting quarterback. He's going to struggle. He's going to have as many mistakes as he is successful plays. Maybe he is going to be the next Tom Brady. But why not get him some help to try to limit those mistakes? The same thing. It, it was a deep wide receiver class. Even though the Patriots have Julian Edelman, that's really all they have at the wideout position. They're not deep at all at wide receiver. Granted, they did pick up two tight ends in the third round, basically back-to-back. <coughs> they didn't really pick up any other skill positions. They went safety, linebacker, linebacker, Tight end, tight end. Kicker, guard, guard, linebacker, center. I, you know, the, they really just didn't help out Jared Stidham in any sense going into the season. And defense wasn't what New England was worried about going into the season. You know, they're they're losing their starting quarterback from the last 20 seasons. That's not an easy thing to transition to, you know. Maybe Jared Stidham is going to be their their franchise quarterback, but he's going to need help going into the going into the year. <clears throat> no questions asked. So, you know, we'll see we'll see how he does, but there's no replacing Tom Brady, just like there was no replacing Gronk, which was another. <clears throat> big piece of news that from this past week was Rob Gronkowski getting traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Tuesday and which was obvious which obviously was a big pickup for the Buccaneers getting Rob Gronkowski along with a 7th round draft pick for a first a 4th round draft pick <coughs> The biggest question mark that I learned after that trade was that he was traded to the Lions during the 2018 season, but Gronkowski said that he would rather retire than play for someone other than Brady. So that makes you wonder, this has been a plan all along when Gronkowski retired before last season because you kind of got a sense that Tom Brady knew that this was that last year was going to be his last year in New England he stated that he knew he knew that was going to be his last year so it makes you wonder if Gronkowski and Tom Brady kind of made this plan that they were going to team up together after last season which is why Gronkowski knew, you know retired did his WWE thing just to get his body back in healed because obviously Gronkowski has dealt with numerous injuries throughout his career you know maybe he just needed maybe he just needed that break you know he stated that he was starting to not love football anymore so maybe he just needed to step away and come back, and him and Tom Brady would team up again. But the biggest thing that I think Buccaneer fans need to realize going into this season is to not expect Gronkowski to be a star like he was in his prime because he's just not that player anymore. You know, he's over 30 years old at this point, he's just not the same young player that he was. But you don't need him to be. You don't even need really need him to be an every down player, which you shouldn't expect him to be. You know, you you guys have the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers have O.J. Howard, Cameron Bray. So, they're very deep at the tight end position. So, if you guys if they can have him just be a blocking type of tight end or a red zone just a red zone tight end that would be huge because Gronkowski even if he's not the player he once was he's still one of the he's immediately going to be a concern on the field for the opposing defense somebody that big that can move that fast that's that strong that has that nice of hands is a is an immediate concern for the defense. So it makes, it makes you wonder if they're going to have a similar type of offense to when the Patriots would play with two tight ends with Gronkowski and the late Aaron Hernandez. Speaking of that, obviously, the Patriots, Patriots did draft two tight ends. Out of. During the draft, for the first time since they did, since they did draft Gronkowski and the late Aaron Hernandez, so it just kind of makes you wonder if that's where the NFL is going. You know, because these these tight ends are becoming so much more elusive on the field; they're bigger, faster, stronger and they can run routes like tight ends. So, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how the Buccaneers are going to run that offense because OJ Howard, OJ Howard and Cameron Bray are very promising tight ends. And they haven't stated whatsoever that they plan on trading them. So, it's going to be very interesting to see how they adjust to that offense, especially with got, I mean, even with Mike Evans, they have a lot of pieces going into this year to really make a run at a Super Bowl. I I think they're more than capable of making a run at a Super Bowl competing in in the NFC South. That offense is... Easily going to be one of the most high-powered and highest-scoring offenses going into the season. Like I said, this is a sports and music podcast. So two singles that I really wanted to talk about from this past week was, first off, Juice World's first posthumous Single, released a song Friday called Righteous. And it really talked about his drug use and anxiety issues, you know, as as an artist, all the things that he dealt with one line that really stuck out to me was taking medicine to fix all the damage, my anxiety the size of a planet. That really stuck out to me because Juice World was known for connecting to younger audiences. And obviously the times that we live in today, anxiety, and unfortunately drug use are huge factors in that and somebody who was a huge fan of Juice WRLD and still is a huge fan, still listens to Juice WRLD on a daily basis. He really connected to me personally because I have dealt with anxiety and I think that 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 was one of the main reasons so many kids my age You know, even a little bit older, a little bit younger, really connected to him. And it just really, it really hurts my heart that that so many of these younger artists that are, that really do have the potential to change the rap game are dealing with all of these issues, you know, drug addiction. Obviously, completely different circumstances, but, you know, X from a couple years ago being killed, Pop Smoke recently, Nipsey Hussle recently, all of these artists were huge names in the industry for the reason being that they we're connecting to these younger audiences on a level that other artists just weren't you know connecting to things that all the all these kids are dealing with and it's just very unfortunate because a lot of it has to do with the fact that these artists are becoming worldwide known When they're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. You know, just was 21 when he overdosed. And you just have no idea how they're dealing with it. Because becoming that famous when you're 18 is not an easy thing. I obviously am not famous by any means, but... I can only, I can't even imagine what they're dealing with when it comes to depression, anxiety, you know, just always trying to please people. And I think we need to do a better job of helping these kids because they are kids, dealing with it. We really need to help them deal with it and help them from not. Doing anything that could not only hurt them, but also hurt their fans. Because we'll never be able to hear a new Juice World song again. He'll never be able to release music, obviously. And while he has reportedly a ton of unreleased songs... It's just very unfortunate that that, we'll, that he'll never be able to connect with his audience like that again. And it may, it may be a while until we find somebody like him that can. Connect with these younger audiences again. And on on a more lighthearted note, Travis Scott and Kid Cudi also released a song this past week called "The Scots." It was the two two legends' first single together since "Stop Trying to Be God" on Travis Scott's Astro World, which. Stop Trying To Be God is still one of the most underrated songs on that album, one of my favorites personally, but it was their first single together since that song in 2018. But the most interesting part about this song, outside of it, you know, of course, Travis Scott and Kid Cudi, every song the two do together, even though it's not very often, you know, Stop Trying To Be God and I can't remember the other one they released in 2016, but both songs, you know, along with this one, pretty, pretty, pretty much bangers, you know, uh, two of the most, the most known artists from the past decade. The most interesting part, however, was Travis Scott having this kind of concert on Fortnite Thursday night, teasing the song. Along with playing some other songs from Asher World, and I'm pretty sure he played Goosebumps too, which is obviously one of his most well-known songs. But I don't even I don't even know if I can, I want to call it a concert because it's more of a performance. You know, it had Travis Scott had a character that was huge, and he towered over everybody walking around flying playing his music and like I said it had over 12 million players came and watched this thing and the videos that I saw online were just amazing kind of makes me wish I was there but it just makes you wonder if this is gonna kind of be the new way that artists try and tease their music and have performances in a sense because who knows when they're going to be able to actually be able to go to concerts and things like that again festivals so for these bigger artists this could definitely be a new successful way to release their stuff and tease their stuff because obviously it went Pretty well for Travis Scott. He had, I think it was 12.3 million people came and witnessed this. So, the world we live in today, this could definitely be a new and successful venture for these artists to release their music and do performances in a sense. That's all I have for this week. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I'm Riley Shepard from the Who's Got Next podcast, and I will see you all next week.